This is week number 24 in our study of the book of Daniel. And we're over in chapter 7. You remember chapter 7 is all about the first vision of Daniel in the book. Uh, The book changes from chapter 7 forward and that is Daniel who's receiving uh, revelation and visions and he's the one that's in need of interpretation. So in this first vision, what he's seen and we've talked about is four beasts rising out of the great sea which is stirred by the four winds of heaven. So just simply the compass directions, the winds blowing, the sea is stirred up. We know that sea represents the nations and the peoples. And out of those uh, tumultuous waters come four beasts. And the first of those beasts was a lion who had the wings of eagles on his back. And we talked through that. That represents the kingdom of Babylon, which at the time in which Daniel writes this book, and when he pens the biblical account, has already been done away with and has passed away. The Babylonian Empire is ended, and we're into the Medo-Persian Empire, which is represented by the second beast, which rises out of the sea. That beast being a great bear that is raised up on one side and has... Um, three ribs between his teeth and his mouth. And he's given the command to devour much meat. And that bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire, who is the one who is in control and in power when Daniel writes the book of Daniel. It's during the Medo-Persian Empire in which he writes the book. And so we move on. The third beast was a leopard who had four wings on his back. And that Uh, Beast represents Greece mainly, are focused on Alexander the Great and in the swiftness in which he overtook the world. That's why it's a leopard with four wings on his back. They move with great speed. and, And then ultimately the kingdom of Greece was divided, most believe, into four, maybe five with a lesser province. But anyway, um, and was in control of the world for 350 years. Then we move to a fourth beast, which rises out of the water, which Daniel does not even attempt to compare that beast to an animal. But rather he says it was different than all the ones who come before. It was terrifying and dreadful and had great teeth of iron. And it devoured everything that was in its path, and if you didn't get devoured by the mouth, then it trampled you with its feet. And so this dreadful beast comes up. This beast has ten horns on its head, and while Daniel's looking at the ten horns, a smaller horn appears, and in the presence of that smaller horn, three of the ten horns are ripped out by the roots, it says, before him. And this smaller horn is there among the seven remaining horns and it has eyes like those of a man and it has a mouth that speaks boastfully. And so I believe that represents a man and not some dreadful beast but rather the works of this um, empire and the works of that man are dreadful and terrifying but it is led by a human. And so those are the four beasts that rise up out of the sea. That's kind of where we left it last week. We compared, went over into Revelation chapter 13 and chapter uh, 17 and compared 
what John the Apostle saw in his visions in Revelation to what happens in Daniel's vision um, in the uh, in the fifth in the sixth century BC, and saw many similarities there. We didn't go into great detail. We just mentioned a few things where they seem to be speaking of the same um, nation or empire or ruler. They have many things in common. And so what John saw at the end of the age in his vision uh, toward the end of the first century A.D. appears to be the same thing that Daniel saw in his first vision somewhere in the 500s B.C. So 600 years separated, but apparently seeing the same thing. And so we made some of those comparisons. As we go forward, and these same visions come up with uh, similarities in Daniel's visions to this vision, then we'll make those comparisons and probably go a little further than we went last time. We also said that this vision that Daniel is having in chapter 7 is parallel to the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2 that when Daniel interpreted that vision, there were four kingdoms that came, and then the ultimate kingdom of God. Same thing happens in chapter 7. There are four kingdoms that Daniel sees, four beasts that rise up out of the the sea, and then we'll see today the kingdom of God being established. So very similar in uh, sequence of events and what happens between chapter 2, that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed in chapter 7 that Daniel saw. So today we'll just kind of pick up where we left off last week. We'll begin reading in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, and then read down through verse 14, which pretty much um, completes the vision that Daniel had. So beginning in Daniel chapter 7, in verse 9, there the scripture reads, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was white like like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels with a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... One like a son of man was coming, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." And so with that, uh, the, the vision of Daniel, uh, or at least the, the, the details are given, and to follow is the interpretation, which we won't get into today. We just try and uh, walk through some of the things that Daniel actually saw. And like I said, this, this vision of Daniel is parallel to the 
vision of Nebuchadnezzar, and you remember at the end of the vision of Nebuchadnezzar where he saw the great um, statue that was made of multiple um, types of metals and even clay in the feet, that after he had seen that statue, he saw a hand cut from stone with, or a stone cut from rock without human hands being involved. And that is equivalent to what we'll talk about today. That was the establishment of the kingdom of God that, you remember, it crushed and pulverized all the other kingdoms and blew, and then the wind blew them away like dust. So that's equivalent to what we're talking about today. Very different terminology, very different image that Daniel sees and a little more detail than we saw with the stone cut from rock without hands. And so we're getting more um, of what's going on from Daniel. So following the fourth beast, Daniel continues to look and thrones are set up. Okay, so there's not just one throne there are multiple thrones involved here. But on that first throne, how does he describe the one who comes and sits on it? Right, he calls him the Ancient of Days, and then what does he look like? His raiment, which in, is just clothing, right? So his clothing is perfectly white, and so is his hair, Right? So he's, he's white all over, and he's called the Ancient of Days. Who is that? Who is the Ancient of Days? God the Father, Jesus, any others? This term is used nowhere else in Scripture. So you have nothing to compare it to. Okay, because it's not used anywhere else in all of the scriptures. Go ahead. The description, though, in Revelation 1, 13 and 14, describes a son of man, and in the middle of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle, and his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Right, so there are some similarities there, right, to the 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 person of Jesus given in Revelation 1. I would dare say this is not Jesus, though. And I'll show you why in a few minutes. Okay, so you would say, well, it's God the Father. Prove it to me. Out of the text. Can you build an argument out of the text that proves that this is God the Father? Because if you can't do it here, you can't do it anywhere. Because this term is used nowhere else in Scripture. One like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient days. Right. All right, so the, the one like the son of man in verse 13 comes up to the ancient of days. Okay, but that still doesn't prove that the ancient of days is God the Father. Right? It's written in the, it's written in the passage in 14. It says, to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom. Right. And, you know, of course, God the Father gives those to the son. Okay. And, so uh, and, and, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that the Ancient of Days gave that to him. It's written passive voice. Right. So to the Son of Man is given a dominion and a kingdom. 
Okay, so what is your argument that proves that the Ancient of Days is God the Father? Verse 14, the dominion is an everlasting Okay, but that's the dominion of the one who receives it, right? So how does that prove that the Ancient of Days is God the Father? Right. But all right, in, in Daniel's vision, we have the Ancient of Days and we have the Son of Man, neither of which we know who they are yet, right? But out of the context, somehow you've got to prove that the Ancient of Days is God. Very similar uh, on uh, Revelation 5. But remember, Daniel doesn't have Revelation 5. It's not written, it's not written until 600 years later. By the same Holy Spirit. By the same Holy Spirit. Go ahead, Neil. Looking ahead a little more in verse 21 and 22. Yeah. Right. Right. So not, not asserting anything about the identity of the ancient of days, just another uh, characteristic. And something he does, which is past, past judgment. Go ahead. This is just a vision. Just a vision, right? Just a communication to Daniel. Go ahead. It says they're serving, right? Well, and I understand your statement. Surely this has got to be God, and we would all guess that, right? But to the unbeliever, that's not a very convincing argument. But I'd say there is a convincing argument in this passage and in Daniel. The Antichrist will be worshipped like that. Not by saints. Unless you're Muslim. But then the Antichrist is worshipped by the saints. We'll talk about that another day. Go ahead. The only two persons that I recognize in Scripture that are ancient, ancient, uh, from eternity are God the Father and the Son. Except for wisdom. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. Let me me give you a convincing argument, okay? Out of the book of Daniel, out of this passage, in the preceding passages. So you can be sure this is, in truth, God the Father. All right, now, you take verse 14, and what action is written passively, but it's clear who's giving him the kingdom and the dominion, So the Son of Man receives what? A kingdom and a dominion. Okay, then you turn back to chapter 2. You will remember this when we get there. Back to chapter 2, and you look down at verse 21. And this is Daniel in his prayer to God after God had revealed the... um, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and you'll notice in um, verse 19, 
of chapter 2, he says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And what does that God of heaven do down in verse 21? It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes and establishes kings. So if someone is given dominion and a kingdom, who is it that does that? God the Father. And what does he do in verse 14 of chapter 7? He gives to the Son of Man a kingdom and dominion that will never end. So it's only God who does that. Nobody else has that authority. You heard that preached this morning. A little shocking to some people what he said, but you've heard me say that many times, right? Should you really rebel against the government or should you obey it? That's always an interesting question among Christian people. So um, that's what's going on in Daniel chapter 7, is that a kingdom and a dominion is being given to a specific person. That only happens under the authority and by God the Father. So in my mind, that convinces me that the Ancient of Days, out of the Scripture, is clearly called the God of Heaven. They're the same person, right? Daniel praising the God of Heaven because he's the only one who establishes kings and kingdoms, gives dominion. And then over in chapter 7, the Ancient of Days doing that very action. They're one and the same. That's what you would have guessed but your argument needs to be convincing. There's no other place in Scripture you can go. So you've got to base it in Daniel. There's going to be more about this in just a minute. Go ahead. Well, something that's just bubbling out of me. Bubbling. <laughs> I just couldn't help it. It's in the, the judgment of Gentiles in Matthew 25, 31. Because here in Daniel 7, it says plural throne. Right. And before the millennium kingdom, it talks about Jesus sitting on his throne. Right. One. Right. Exactly. That's what what people call the great white throne. Right. Right. That's, that's right before, you know, the, the Jerusalem comes out of heaven and down. This is, you know, after the, you know, the, I have to go back and look. It was after the uh, devil was released. Sequentially, okay, Christ comes, defeats the armies of the earth, the beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire, the, the devil bound for a thousand years in the abyss, thousand year reign, devil released, final revolt, fire from heaven consumes, earth and the heavens done away with, uncreated, no longer exists. There's no longer a place found for them. Then you have the great white throne judgment. Then you have the creation of the new heavens, the new earth. Then you have the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. You have God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, dwelling in the new Jerusalem and the saints free to go in and out of the city. And that's the sequential. That's what we teach. That's what we believe. That's the sequential events after the last days of the tribulation. What I just said, what I just said is more like 45 days. Okay? 
<laughs> they will. <laughs> Probably longer. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. Verses 13 and 14. Yeah. And he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, and with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Which we will talk about. He came to the ancient of days. So right. Two separate ones. Right. And dominion was given to this son of man. Everlasting dominion. You're right. You are getting ahead of me. Right, I am. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just like a couple more verses. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty clear. It's not Jesus. It must be God the Father who is the, the Ancient of Days. Yes. I think it's clear that the God of Heaven is the Ancient of Days. And that would be God the Father. And I'll, and I'll give you more to show that who the Son of Man is. That will be convincing. Okay? You okay? Okay? You can't just presume things into the scriptures. You can't just, oh, I've been taught that and so it's got to be right. You need to be able to build a biblical defense of what you believe. And I agree, the Ancient of Days is God the Father, but how do you know that? You put together chapter 2 and, and what he does in chapter 7 and you get that. Go ahead, David. I was just going to say that it's a great, great, there's no closer parallel to the whole theme of Revelation 4 to the end and the initial 4 and 5 vision that John's given mm-hmm. to the idea of giving away a dominion and a kingdom and who's worthy and the whole rest of the scroll unfurling was all about that. That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, and it's Christ who's worthy to be given that dominion. And actually what this... You, what I believe the scroll is in Revelation is the title deed to the earth. Christ has taken back what is rightfully his. That's what it's all about. It's been given for a time and now he's taking it back. And the whole world revolts against him taking back what is rightfully his. That's what's going on in Revelation. We'll get there in... I don't know when. (laughs) It'll be after the eight-week interlude. Okay? In, in Psalm 115, we read this morning, verse 16, say that heaven, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Yeah. He will take it back. He will take it back. He absolutely will. Only for a time. Okay, so with this, this throne... <laughs> go ahead. Sherry. <laughs> Remember, he met face to face with Moses, and he passed by in front of Moses. So we we've seen visions or images of God in the Scripture before we get to Daniel, in which God inter- had communication with a man, especially Moses. Moses, he sits outside. Remember, in the tent with him. Yeah, face to face, and so that's why Moses' face was all aglow and all of that. So. I mean, there there are other other places where we see. Go ahead, Neil. No. That's right. But with the children of Israel, 
pillar of fire, right? Cloud in the temple, a cloud. Right, 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 like like hair and raiment. Yes, not not often. And this is the only place where he's called the Ancient of Days. You thought it was other places, didn't you? Huh? I did, but it's not. I went looking for him. Couldn't find him. Came up no. Go ahead. Oh yeah, absolutely. That are that are like a man. I mean, hands and voices and, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah, they're called something else, but I'm not. There you go. And apparently he's in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. He's in a... Throne in a wheelchair. Yeah, this is what I want to talk about. So this throne has... This throne has particular characteristics. And what are they? What's he, what's he named there? It's on fire. It's on fire. It's got wheels like fire. So this throne has wheels. What else? Anything else? Hot wheels. You, you people, you people just take liberties. You know, there's a there's another description that's similar that's given in Ezekiel. You remember Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel. Came on the scene after Daniel, dies before Daniel. You've got Jeremiah, and then Daniel, then Ezekiel, and then dying off, you've got uh, Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, then Daniel. And so these guys are all contemporaries to some degree. Jeremiah certainly being older than Daniel or Ezekiel. Ezekiel being younger than Daniel, but dying before Daniel dies. So Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel 10 about this particular um, throne or, uh, of God. It's, and so I want to go there and just look at it for a minute. Now, this is an event associated with the, um, the first temple, the temple that Solomon built. Okay, this is the temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. And um, you remember that it was built by Solomon Solomon reigned um, beginning in 951. Is that right? I think it is. Uh, 951 and reigned for 40 years. He built the temple of God in the first 20 years of his reign. So it was built somewhere around, finished like 931 or something like that. So, and, and then God came, if you'll remember, and um, entered the, ten, the Holy of Holies as a cloud such that the, the priests couldn't minister there. They were driven out because of the thick cloud, because that was the presence of God going into the Holy of Holies. All right, here we are, um, 350 years later or so, something like that. I mean, the temple only existed for 350 years. You think it's much longer, but it's not. It's built in, uh, like I said, like 930 or so, and then by the time you get to 605, we know that Babylon overruns Israel. So not very long, 330 years, something like that. So that the temple was in operation as the temple that Solomon built and the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. All right, this passage in Ezekiel 10 is God coming out of the Holy of Holies when he evacuates the Holy of Holies. And some of the imagery is similar to what we're talking about over in Daniel. So you get to Ezekiel 10 and... I'll just give you a couple of things. Look at the first three verses 
of Ezekiel 10, and you'll see that the presence of God is in the Holy of Holies. Ezekiel 10.1 Then I looked, and behold, in the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone in appearance, resembling a throne, appeared above them. Okay, so there's the throne. All right. And he spoke to the man clothed in linen and said, Enter between the whirling wheels under the cherubim and fill your hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And he entered in my sight. Now the cherubim were standing on the right side of the temple when the man entered and the cloud filled the inner court. So here's the picture. You've got a throne. You've got cherubim under the throne and there are wheels among the cherubim. And those wheels are on fire. The man is commanded to go and get coals of fire from among the wheels. And so you've got the throne, which is empty. You've got the cherubim, and they're turning the wheels. Okay? And God, not on the throne, in the inner holy of holies as a cloud. That's the picture. All right? Then it goes through this elaborate elaborate, detailed discussion of the wheels that the cherubims turn. And they turn this way, and they turn that way, and the cherubim never, they have four faces, and they never turn. They just stay straight all the time, and yet they can steer in any direction because they have a face on all four sides, so they can see where they're going. And they're the ones who manipulate the wheels to make the chariot move. Okay? So you get down to verse 16, and things all of a sudden things change. Now when the cherubim moved, the wheels would go beside them. It's the cherubim that direct the wheels of the throne of God. It's four cherubim. Would go beside them. Also, when the cherubim lifted up their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels would not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels would stand still. And when they rose up, the wheels would rise up with them for the spirit of the living beings was in them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And what's over the cherubim? The throne is. So this is God, the Father, going back to the throne which the cherubims direct. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight, with the wheels beside them, and they stood still at the entrance of the gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel hovered over them. So when you think about this throne that God the Father sits on, it has wheels which the chair which are directed by the movement of four cherubim which undergird the whole throne itself. And so that's how it moves around, and there is fire among those wheels. Why fire? For purification and for judgment. This is a throne of judgment. This is the throne of the Ancient of Days. This is the same throne that is now Daniel in Daniel's vision where God the Father sits with cherubim directing the movement of the throne of God. That's how it moves. That's how it goes from place to place with these cherubim moving the wheels. Go ahead. It seems to me that since the cherubim have wings, they don't need the wheels to... And it says that, right? To move, yeah. 
it says that when they raise up and down, the wheel stands still. I would say so. I would say, you know, we, we don't know everything that's given here, right? But you see the imagery is the same. You've got wheels underneath the throne, which God the Father sits on, and there's fire among the wheels. Same thing we see over in Daniel chapter 7. And so this is the throne of God. This is how it moves. This is how it's directed. This is where he sits. Okay, he's, there he's a cloud in Daniel's vision. He's the Ancient of Days. Okay? So, just some similarities. There, there are other places. We'd go other places in the Scripture where the throne of God is mentioned and you'd see other similarities. So, this is just one of them. Written about the same time Daniel's writing. Or maybe a little before. And, of course, Daniel would have known Ezekiel. They were both captives into the Babylonian kingdom. So they would have known each other. So when we talk about Daniel and his three friends, don't forget about Ezekiel, who's about their same age, maybe a little younger than them. So he's there with them. Okay, and of course you've got Jeremiah for at least the first half of that captivity, who's also there with them, who has apparently freedom to move in and out and preach to people. So a little different than Daniel and his friends. Okay, just wanted to take you over there and show you that there are other places in Scripture that speak about this. Now, the scene continues back in Daniel's chapter 7. And he gets to verse 10. He says, A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him, the Ancient of Days. So he's on his throne that have wheels of fire, and then there's this river of fire coming out from him. Again, all indicating judgment and that he's going to pass judgment. Okay, so coming from them. And then he says, thousands upon thousands were attending him or in ESV serving him. So you've got thousands upon thousands. And the New New American Standard would say myriads of myriads of people standing before the throne. Those are those who are awaiting judgment. ESV says ten thousands of ten thousands. Now I've got a problem with that. I'll tell you why. What is ten thousand times ten thousand? Well, you know, it's four zeros and then four more zeros and then a one. That's a hundred million, right? Ten? No, that's too big. It's ten to the eight. Ten. To, Four, four, and then a one, right? The number of zeros is the power of the ten. It's ten to the eight, okay? I do remember expo- the, you know, notations. It's a hundred million. Well, they're going to be billions, not hundreds of millions. So why they say ten thousands of ten thousands, I don't know. They should have said hundred thousands of hundred thousands. It's their, inter- it's their translation, not mine, but their number's too small. 100 million people is not a lot of people. There's 300 million people in the United States. Okay? There's 7.7 billion or something like that in the whole world. So their number's too small. Okay? So it's, it's bigger than 10,000 of 10,000. These are the people awaiting judgment by he who sits on the throne. Okay? Now, again, this is Daniel. This is Old Testament. Daniel doesn't see everything that we know actually occurs. 
right? He's got a limited view. And I want to show you that because let's compare what we see here, the throne, Ancient of Days sitting on it, people awaiting judgment, people attending to the one on the throne, serving him, and what is written in Revelation chapter 20. So go over to Revelation chapter 20 for just a moment. And I want to show you some similarities again. The last time I taught this, I did it in reverse order. I would show them the Revelation, then we'd go to Daniel. Okay, That's why I'm teaching Daniel first this time. Because actually, chronologically, Daniel came way before John, right? 600 years before John. So that's why I'm going in this order this time. So chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a, sorry, a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Same thing we see over in Daniel. And the books were open, which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, I don't want to get into a lot of detail about how does this judgment happen, who's in this judgment, and are there believers in this judgment, or is there only unbelievers? Because we could go on for a long time, and I have my own views of that. Okay, which we'll get to in the great by and by if Jesus doesn't come again, and if we're allowed to continue to teach. So, but you see the same thing, right? Throne, one seated on the throne, books open, judgment according to what's written in the books, men judged, both good and bad, according to the deeds they've done. All judgment is done according to the deeds that you've done, whether good or bad. And we'll eventually talk about that some more. All right. But then, coupled with this, you've got to go back and look at chapter 19 and verse 20, which before you get to that point, this is the point that Randy was making, before you get to that judgment on the throne, you got, and the beast was seized in Revelation 19.20, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And then it says, and the rest were killed. That's the rest of the armies who are coming against Jesus Christ. Not everybody on the planet, the armies which are gathered. And think about it. We send out an army. Not all of us go, right? Most people are left at home. The armies go fight. That's who, and it says, and the rest were killed. It's talking about the armies of the nations, not the nations themselves. Okay, and then you get to verse 20, in chapter 20 and verse 3, and we're talking about Satan, and this is the same point you made. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So when you get to Revelation, you see all this unfolded, right? 
I mean, Daniel sees the same judgment of the horn that Daniel sees. John sees the same judgment of the horn that, that Daniel sees. But he sees a lot more. He sees a lot more details. He's thrown into the lake of fire. He stays there for a thousand years before the throne and the books being opened. Daniel doesn't see any of that. Because in Old Testament scripture, the judgments are side by side. Not only is the age of grace, the church age, missing, but so is the time between the two judgments missing. It's not there in any of the Old Testament visions or dreams or in um, of what's going to happen at the end of time. And so this is like this is the mark of progressive revelation. That as you go further in Scripture, God unfolds and reveals more and more. And so to to Daniel, he gave a little and a very narrow view, a very closed view of what was going to happen at the end of times. You have to keep that in mind when you're looking at the visions that Daniel had. But to John, much more given, much more detail, much more exactness, preciseness, in what happens and what the sequence of events are. You'll never see them in Old Testament visions and dreams and eschatology. It won't be there. But because God progressively through time has revealed more and more. They desired to know and see. We can see that in the scriptures, but they didn't see. They couldn't see it. Very narrow, closed view. Let me show you that one more place over in Daniel. So go back to Daniel. Just trying to open up some things for you so you can see how the events fit together. Look in Daniel chapter 12. Very end of Daniel. And I'll show you another narrow perspective of the end of the age that Daniel holds. And he holds it because this is all that God revealed to him. Notice that he says, Chapter 12, verse 1 of Daniel. Now at that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Sound familiar? Same thing Christ said in Matthew 24, right? A time of distress such as never been. Just mentions it. Doesn't give him many details. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. And look at this. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So there you've got judgment for eternal life and judgment for eternal death side by side. And we know from what we just read over in Revelation 19 and 20 is separated by at least a thousand years. But Daniel sees them just like this. Same way he sees the judgment of the Ancient of Days slammed up against the appearing of the fourth beast. Nothing else happens in the vision of Daniel. The beast comes, the horn, three horns are ripped out, the small horn boasts, and then there's judgment. But we know there's more than that by the revelation given to John. Daniel doesn't see that. So keep that in mind as we look at the vision of Daniel. It's narrow. 
You don't get all the details because God had not yet revealed the details. So we go back, go back now to chapter 7 of Daniel. And so you've, and I dare say this, that when you get to Revelation, it's Jesus Christ who sits on the throne and passes judgment. Here in Daniel, it's the Ancient of Days who is sitting on a throne, but we know there are more thrones, or at least two, right? Because he says, I saw thrones set up, not throne. So we know there's at least another throne. That other throne is the one that Jesus Christ sits on and passes judgment with God the Father attending and overseeing all this happening. But it's Christ who passes judgment unto life and unto death. We get that out of Revelation. But here, so we go ahead and we we move down now past the books being opened at the end of verse 10 and you get to verse 11. Then I kept looking because of the sound of boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. Okay? So imagine this. The Ancient of Days sitting on his throne and this little horn continues at the judgment to boast and be proud and speak blasphemies against God. He continues, even in the presence of the Father, in front of the throne, from which fire is flowing towards you, he continues to boast. That's the Antichrist. That's the beast. Now, I want you to notice something in this verse. Very particular how he says it. He says, I heard sounds of boastful words which the horn was speaking. That's the small horn, right? The little horn that came up among the ten in front of which three horns were pulled up by the roots. I don't think he pulls them up by the roots, but he commands it to be done, and it is done. And then notice he says, I kept looking, he's talking about the horn, until the beast was slain. Not the horn, but the beast. So what does that tell you? What is Daniel doing in this verse with the beast and with the horn? as two separate entities, but using them in place of one another. The horn continues to speak, but the beast is slain. The horn goes silent when the beast is slain. So they're one and the same. They're one and the same. So Daniel's using them in that way. That this beast, when you talk about the fourth beast, and you talk about the little horn, it's all the same thing. They're not, they are separate and distinct. I would not disagree with that because the beast is larger than the horn, but they all go down in flaming fire together. Okay? He's using them interchangeably. He says, the horn's boasting, and the beast is slain. And the beast is slain to put the horn out. So just keep that in mind as we go through this, and we eventually get to more detail, because that's all the detail you're given in Daniel, is that the, the horn is boasting, and the beast is slain. That's it. Done. There's no more. And that's all Daniel was given. So that's all we'll talk about right now. But he uses them in place of one another. They're, they're synonymous. Okay? The ten horns, definitely individuals. The little horn, definitely an individual. Has eyes like a man, mouth like a man. Okay? But the beast is all of it wrapped together. 
and they go down together. We'll talk about it more in detail, but that's all Daniel gives. There's no more given in Daniel. So the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and thrown into the burning fire. What is that in Revelation? That's the lake of fire. And Daniel does not see a very crucial detail, which is what? When you're thrown into the lake of fire, what's true? You don't burn up. You don't burn up. Because when the devil's thrown there a thousand years later, the beast and the false prophet are still there. You don't burn up. You're not consumed by the fire. So it's not fire as we think of it. It's torment. Let me show you this. Look over in Revelation chapter 20. Just so you'll see it with your own eyes. Don't have to believe what I say. 20. This is the the final revolt at the end of the thousand year reign. Revelation 20, verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Done away with. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is not a consuming fire. This fire does not burn you up. It torments you like it's going to burn you up forever. They've already been there a thousand years by the time he, he... you get to when the devil's thrown there and they'll be there for all eternity. It's a terrifying thought. Terrifying thought. Because not only are they thrown there, but so are all those who don't place faith in Christ. Terrifying, dreadful thought. Should inform our evangelism. So, Daniel doesn't see that. These guys are done away with, thrown into the lake of fire has no idea that they go on and they're still alive a thousand years later. But John sees it. John's given that revelation. And we have the great... How privileged, how privileged are we to get the whole picture, right? When Here's Daniel, who's more faithful than I will ever even think about being, who God only revealed a narrow slice. He wanted to know it all. He asked about it. But he's not given it all. Nope. We know only what's been revealed, right? Only what's been revealed. But we're privileged compared in, in light of what we see Daniel and the Old Testament saints being given. We have much more than they had. So let's keep moving for just a minute here. So we've <clears throat> we see the analogy or the, the congruence between what happens in Daniel and what happens in Revelation. It's the same thing, just more details given in Revelation. So Daniel here in the 6th century B.C. is describing the same thing that in the 1st century A.D. John describes, just with less perspective than John had. But it's the same thing. Just like we saw last week, where it certainly appears that the kingdom before these events that we're talking about today is the same kingdom that John saw that Daniel saw as his fourth kingdom 
as the fourth beast rising out of the water, is the same as the end kingdom at the end of the age. I've got something I'll say about that in a minute. So we won't get through with this today, but just want to whet your appetite a little bit. He says that's not all. Not just the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne and passing judgment and this terrible beast being slain. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. He says, I kept looking, in verse 13, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This is some of the attending thousands who are bringing Christ up before the Ancient of Days. That's what they're there. They're serving him. Now, this term, we're not going to talk about it today. Son of man is very, very distinct. So you may want to go do a little research of where is it in the Old Testament, how is it used, how many times is it used, and what does it refer to? Because here, I'll say this much, that I believe when Jesus Christ was walking on the face of the earth and he said, described himself as the Son of Man, it's this passage that he was thinking about and referencing. Not anywhere else. This passage is what Jesus Christ was thinking about when he walked the earth and called himself the Son of Man. Now, I need to prove that to you, right? That it's this verse that Jesus Christ was thinking about. Yeah, it does in New, New a, NAS also. Is that, he looks like a son of man. Right? Because he's like a son of man, because he is distinctly different than all the other sons of men, right? I mean, Jesus Christ unique in that he was God and man. If you just said the son of man, you'd be talking about me. You just be talking about a human. Very, very specific reason why he says like the Son of Man and why Jesus Christ describes himself as the Son of Man. His favorite term. You look through all the Gospels and Christ would say, it's not me who has no place to lay my head, it's the Son of Man who has no place to lay his head. Right? Over and over and over again through the Gospels, Jesus Christ uses this term to describe himself to the people around him, to his disciples, to the, um, to the Pharisees and the chief priests, always using that term, son of man. It's this passage, this very verse that he's thinking about. And I'll show you that in colors next time. I, I'm that sure of it. Okay? Just got to do a little digging. So this week, dig a little and convince yourself it's this very verse that he's talking about. Not that difficult. If I can do it, you can do it. Right? you got the same spirit in you that I have in me. And he'll illumine your mind if you'll but go and search. So, we got halfway through the verses that I read today. This is just full of meaning. And I'm not going to cheat us. We're going to walk through it as long as it takes. So we'll just, however long it takes, that's how long it'll take. Don't have an agenda. I just know that after next week, there's an interlude for eight weeks.
for me, seven for you. Final comments? Something you want to ask? Something you want to say? Something you're confused about? All of it, right? Go ahead, Randy. It says, uh, and he came up to the ancient of days yeah. that were presented before him. Mm-hmm. I think from Revelation where they said, who is worthy to take Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that is so cool. Yep. Right. Throne, of, throne of God sitting, 24 elders around him, which I think represents you and me and the church. And the scroll in his hand. And he's looking at all the church and says, who's worthy to come and take the scroll? And nobody is. And so John begins to weep because there's no one found worthy. And then appears the Lamb of God who's worthy to take the scroll and break his seals. That's what we're talking about here. That's what's going on. It's being presented to the Father as the one who was slain from the foundations of the earth and is worthy to take the scroll. Again, John gives us much more details Right. That's the point. And he has to be like a son of man to right. provide it away. That's just deity and humanity coming together is obviously impossible. Right. It's unimaginable. So we'll talk about that next time because we got the son of man that we need to figure out who that is. Because you assume it's Jesus Christ because he called himself that, right? Prove it. Prove it out of the scriptures. So we, we will. Probably. If I can remember, right? If I can remember it all. Thanks for your time.